don't you worry about the people stealing our software and technology? I said, you know what, I'll be honest with you. I said, to take our technology we developed and go in, in, input it in someone else's technology, it's probably more hassle than it's worth, okay? I mean, there's probably little cool tools and tricks you learn, mm-hmm. but at, at the end of the day, I said, I said, that's not gonna bankrupt us, okay? You know, this isn't, you know, there's nothing here we had that was just really amazing magic. Everyone thinks it is. I said, I said, the more you get around and talk to people, every company's got their own little magic they're doing. And if you talk to them, you learn from it and see if you can, you know, uh, put it into your, integrate it in your solution to improve your process. Hey everybody, I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industries. My guest today has had a distinguished career as a BIM manager at firms like Southland Industries and Murray Company. He's currently the CTO at ICT Tracker and the MEP National Chairman for AGC BIM Forum MEP Group. David Francis is a construction technologist who shows contractors how to dramatically improve efficiency and profits. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, thanks for today. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. How, how do you go about getting contractors to increase efficiency? Well, I, I, it's always in little steps. There is no big magic bullet. And usually, it's amazing what simple things, just even start with this basic folder structure and, and, and information. I mean, that's that's a real big thing that, you know, we buy computers like candy, hand people, and then no one's the infrastructure from the play and share. So that yeah. alone is usually the, the that's usually the place I start when I get to a company. We sit and talk and say, okay, how are you structured? Let's, let's start there. So, and so we're all talking. I mean, uh, the biggest thing that frustrates me is kind of siloed information. You know, mm-hmm. here's this department, here's this department, here's this department. They're all doing their own thing. So that takes a little breakdown of the barriers, but, you know, that's where you start. And then there's obviously so many levels of efficiency you can buy in technology. And but it's not only just technology, it's just it's user interface and just, you know, dealing with people. I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of simple things that aren't, aren't expensive. Yeah. Interesting. So going along technology, you know, it used to change, you know, maybe every couple of years now, it seems at least every six months, if not faster, it's changing. <laughs> How do you combat that and keep up with technology? Uh, that's always a struggle. I don't, I don't care what department you're in. And, and, uh, you're always afraid. I think a lot of people are afraid to make a move because technology is changing, but you have to make some level of commitment to move along. And it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to, there's a learning curve on everything. So when you invest in technology, you're going to take that dip down before it dips up. And I think that's really one of the biggest challenges. A lot of people don't really acknowledge there, but uh, it, uh, I, I don't have a magic answer for that one. I've been doing this for almost 30 years in the, even back when we were using little 286 computers, we were struggling with technology. So I don't think there's, <laughs> I think every, everyone just, you have to go with kind of your gut feeling. And it's really, once you get the buy-in from upper management, that's half the battle. Because now you have people, now you have everyone kind of pushing along the same technology versus you always have the doubters of people pushing back. Yeah. The interesting nugget that I heard you say there is patience. That you got to have patience to let it kind of play out. Don't just uh, adopt a new technology and be like, oh, we adopted it. You know, everything's fixed now. It takes time there. Yeah. Well, the, my biggest complaint is I've always blamed the software. And I said, you know, it's usually never the software. It's usually the implementation process. You didn't yeah. allow time. You didn't put champions in place to take care of it. Uh, then nothing comes out of the box stock ready to go. You have to invest 
time customizing it, tweaking it. You know, software manufacturers will try and tell you that it's good to go and they'll get you up and going in a week. And I go, I, I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. I mean, our software, believe it or not, it's one of our, our hallmarks is the fact that we can come up pretty quickly, but we keep it real simple. That's, uh-huh. that's one of the goals. That was one of my lessons learned when we started this company it had to be that way. But uh, I, I think patience is a real big thing because everyone wants to see the ROI, see what's the sure. magic. Mm-hmm. That just takes time. Yeah. Uh, so if you can put on your, your BIM manager hat for me, how should a BIM manager go about evaluating new technologies and workflows? And then maybe what are some of the determining factors for that successful implementation? Well, I think it also depends. Is it a BIM tool? Is it, is it departmental or is it company wide? So you mm. kind of have to look at it and do you have the right people looking at it with you? And mm. a, lot of, a lot of companies defer to their BIM manager figure. He's the technology guy. Yeah, but now your technology guys telling you, telling the rest of the company how to do their business. Where, you know, I, I want I want my operations manager involved. I want my superintendents involved. I want people who are actually going to be using and taking advantage of technology down the road, uh, in in there. You know, my fabrication guy. You know, here's the data we put out. So I think that's part of it. You need to have, you know, you have to have people and help you evaluate it. You know, obviously you're going to see the impact in your department, and that's usually how most guys look at it. look a little short sighted and just see how it impacts them, and don't realize how it impacts the whole company. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a bigger factor that um, maybe some of the managers are short-sighted. I, mean, I know I've been guilty of it. You know, you get caught up on this new cool tool and you're sure it's going to solve the world, world's problems. But at the end of the day, maybe it was good for your department, but it wasn't good for the rest of the company. So you really need to, that's the biggest lesson learned on a lot of the stuff I've learned is you have to look outside your department and, and think company-wide, not department-wide. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier too, about breaking down silos for efficiency if you don't know what is going on in the rest of the company how are you supposed to get more efficient yeah that's really what it's all about at the end of the day you know and uh i've i've worked for three or four pretty large mechanical contractors and the larger you are the tougher it is because you do have these kind of little kingdoms you deal with Mm -hmm. and that's the hard part but at the end of the day it's what's best for the company you know um at the end of the day, it's a business. And a lot of people kind of forget that. You have to keep in mind, it's all about business and profits. That's why they're here, here, here. And it's your livelihood. So if you, you know, if you sit and hang on to it and don't share with people, most likely you're going to die in the vine. Um, I've seen it happen too many times with guys who didn't share, didn't play well together. And, you know, your job is to be continually mentoring people. And as I always told my guys, your job is to train your replacement. And I know that kind of freaks people out, but it's really you know, I've been training my replacement as long as I've been doing this. And I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of guys who have mentored me along the way. And you just keep on sharing. The funny thing, when you share information, you learn things because now you get perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real big thing that a lot of people forget. You know, there some people kind of hoard the, you know, the, the technology, like this is why they keep me around. I'm the only guy who knows how to do it. But unfortunately you're hurting the company and ultimately you're probably hurting yourself. You know, when everyone's kind of gets, you know, there's karma and people get kind of wise to people that, that aren't good team players. Yeah. Yeah. And I think getting that perspective is, is super important. That's one of my favorite aspects of doing this podcast is getting to, to talk with different people and seeing different points of views on technology and the workflows out there. Cause everybody comes at it from a different angle. So you get exactly. little tidbits that, in every single conversation they're like, oh, okay. Well, we live, cool in such an amazing, we live in such an amazing generation of sharing information and data, which, you know, I started, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have that stuff. You know, I'd sit at lunch and read DOS manuals and, you know. That I sounds sure like an exciting lunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I sure could have used a, a YouTube years ago because, I mean, now that I, you know, I'm 
I'm training myself on Power BI and other softwares. And every time I have a question, I just hop in there and, and I can always find a reference that someone's already had the problem I've had. And, uh, you know, that's what, you know, anyone that says they're having a struggle learning, I get frustrated with. And, uh, you know, my guys used to take lunch and at lunch, everyone hops on the internet and kind of spends time looking at stuff. I said, you know, if you just took 30 minutes a week and watched a video that was a training video on something, and there's a ton of them out there, you know, you start thinking about that, you know, here's 30 minutes a week there. You're investing 26 hours a year in your training. Just, just a half hour a day, you're going to blow, you know, eat your lunch anyway. So why not watch a video that's something to do with your CAD software or some piece of technology you'd like to learn about? Yeah. No, I think that's great. Being intentional with your time there. Yeah. Uh, so in this current disruption that, that we're all going through uh, of most people, you know, going from working from home and social distancing and all that stuff. What are some technologies and, and workflows you feel could help BIM departments excel in this current environment? Well, I know the last company I was at uh, Murray company, we were playing with the desktop as a solution and um, you know, that allows people to a, you know, move around and hop in anywhere and, and log in and take your environment with you, make sure your environment virtual. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of IT departments looking at it. The CAD department's always struggled with it because CAD people use so many mouse movements, there's a little lag there, and so, some guys get frustrated with it. So uh, I know some companies have, have gone that way, and you know you start comp- comparing the impact of your IT department and maintaining you know all the, all the different things that come along with uh, you know keeping your people productive. I mean, guys' machine goes down, we're happy it's up and you know we have a backup machine. We're happy we got them up and going in a few hours, but if you're running a, a virtual desktop, all of a sudden it's not a few hours. It's no big deal. He just hops on another machine, logs in, he's back in business, mm-hmm. you know? So there's that kind of technology out there. Um, you know, obviously like we're doing here, Zoom meetings, you know, when, uh, you know, we started doing everything with Skype a few years ago. Uh, so the guys were communicating with that. Um, I mean, one of the standards, you know, everyone got a computer, we standardized. So everyone got a headset with a computer. So that way, A, they can listen on calls for, you know, virtual meetings for coordination but also they talk with each other, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's just some simple tools that everyone should have. And, you know, these, these uh, headsets are so inexpensive these days. It's, you know, it's like, here's your mouse keyboard and here's your, here's your desk, uh, here's your uh, headset. Here's your other piece of equipment everyone should have. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. What about some technologies and workflows to, to help departments address the, the skilled labor shortage that's so prevalent? All this I, is only going to make it even more so. Um, yeah, well, you know, because we looked at it differently than a lot of people. And because um, we had a hierarchy of people, how we'd set it up. So, um, you know, I kind of looked at our offices as, as kind of the virtual field. We had superintendents, we had general foremen, we had foremen all the way down to apprentices, you know, mm. and you had people get more task oriented versus, 
you know, when I started, you did everything. When you were a detailer, you brought in the drawings, you cleaned them up, you did the background, you set up your title box, you did all that stuff. Well, that's mm-hmm. kind of mundane tasks that your time as a detail is more, uh, more, uh, um, what's the word I want to say? Uh, it, it, it's precious at this point. So to have you sit around playing around backgrounds and stuff like that, it doesn't make sense. Um, and also someone has to learn and that's how you learn. You have people start doing little things. And so someone starts doing backgrounds, someone starts doing spooling, they start understanding. I mean, that's how I started as a draftsman. I was, I was doing spool sheets for a guy. He would sit there and he'd give me this really rough spool sheet. And I, I was a draftsman. I'd make it pretty so it could read it in the shop. And that's why I started learning about fittings and stuff like that. And, uh, um, I think that's how you have that trickle down teaching mentality. And then, you know, this person gets this, you just keep on feeding them more and more as they learn. Mm. But, um, you know, everyone's just desperate for, uh, for technology right now. And I think part or not technology, but personnel, I think the other piece is just uh, QC. You know, we had people set up who just QC'd all the drawings and that helped get at least a standardized drawing, but also help point out issues to feedback to the guys. Mm. Um, the other things that we did is we did a monthly meeting. I would take all the emails of everything I received and everything was good, bad, or ugly. We'd air it out. And, you know, obviously we wouldn't throw anyone under the bus, but we'd point out, Hey, we're on a job. We saw this, we had an issue. Something you guys should all pay attention to. Or, you know, we did, you know, plumbing and piping. And uh, at the end there, we were doing sheet metal. So my previous contractor, when you're a three trade contractor, the other thing is it's amazing things that one, one trade does that another trade doesn't realize could help them. You know, so it was mm-hmm. kind of interesting getting that crossover there and then, um, you know, try and get your engineers in there and get your design team on there because, you know, they're at the point there where, especially if you're a design build contractor, you're not putting out dumb engineering drawings anymore. You're putting out drawings that's a lot higher expectation. You know, they look for an LD350 drawing versus a 300. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. It's just how you're smart with your manpower. And, I, you know, everyone wants to go out and, you know, hire the hotshot. And I go, yeah, the hotshots are rare and they're expensive. He said, you're better off cultivating from within. Find an older journeyman or foreman that wants to come in the office. You know, they know the field. You can train them. Mm-hmm. It's easier to teach someone CAD than it is to teach someone the field. That's, you know, it, it sounds brutal, but it's unfortunate truth on it. And when you have guys like in there, they actually trickle off experience to other people, which is good too. So you mm-hmm. have to look at it from a lot of different angles to you're cultivating, you know, you're cultivating a garden there. It's really what you're doing when you're running, you're managing an apartment. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Uh, so how should a BIM department look at the transition to Revit? Um, well, I, I think everyone's at different levels based on what the requirements are. <clears throat> you, if you have a design department, you're getting pushed into Revit faster because your design team got pushed into Revit. Um, I think the transition to Revit, you're going to have to jump in, you know, and usually you pick that, that basic low end project. Uh, the other thing you need to get outside support, get training, you know, you, you spend good money, you know, you know, with us, uh, someone who's selling you your software, they provide support. That's what they do. That's part of their job. So get your people trained, you know, don't assume they're going to osmosis software because that just makes it worse. And mm-hmm. Sometimes you might have to round train, you know, four or five at a time or however you, you know, whatever your grouping are, but there's also a lot of setup goes to it. You know, you don't just roll out a software. I mean, I know the one company when we did Revit, it took quite a while and, and, you know, they did a great job taking it from a more corporate look at it to set up our template, you know, just all the simple things you took for granted, you know, 
you you know that you've been using for years in maybe an AutoCAD scenario, if you go to Revit, you kind of have to do the same thing over in Revit. But Revit's a different different environment, and it's it's better because it's actually a more structured environment. You can't you can actually lock people out from changing things and get rid of some of the bad habits they have. So you got you need to kind of embrace some of the good things and. You know, they're continuing to develop. Every year it gets better. The problem is, unfortunately, we have to wait 18 months till the Arctic switches over, and then the rest of everyone can hop on board and, and take advantage of technologies. The MEPs mm-hmm. have been traditionally behind the curve because we're waiting for, you know, 2020 rolls out, and all of a sudden that's great, but we're still on jobs with 2018 and 2017. So all these cool tools that are there we don't get to use yet. But it also buys you some time to examine those tools and see how they uh, fit in your infrastructure. Yeah, it gives you kind of the the opportunity for a non ramp to yeah, to look at that right. and go, okay, this how it maps in with our environment. This is so by the time you're ready, you in theory should be able to hit the ground running a little bit harder. Yeah, and and now there's a lot of good third party softwares out there. Obviously, you know, obviously, you know, applied. You've got the evolved system out there. There's other third party soft, softwares that help you out. You know, but the advantage the evolved system brings out that I saw is the fact that if you're already a fabrication company here's a software that helps you to stay in fabrication and take advantage of what you have. So there's pluses and minuses to everything. But when you're looking at software and looking for applications, instead of making this big, holy smokes, we're starting from scratch thing. Why not take what you have and just integrate it into a new interface? Mm, yeah. Uh, what, what do you think are some habits outside of maybe that training that departments can put in place to put them in a better position for success in transitioning to Revit? Well, I, I it, it all depends. It still comes down to training. You, you obviously have to pick your right people and the right project to do it. Um, you need to identify, you know, and, and there's obviously going to be some projects that are going to lend themselves better to it. You don't roll it out and do a hospital on revenue for your first time because that'd be pretty <laughs> brutal adventure. But, uh, you know, you're going to take baby steps. You're going to learn and you're going to run through your whole cycle because you have to figure out how it works all the way through. It's not just, the fact you took it from design to detailing, you know, okay, great. You're not cleaning up backgrounds anymore. You know, you're using your total station system. You're using, you know, your fabrication. There's all these other technologies that, that hop on top of this. You have to make sure it integrates. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different solutions out there for that too. You just have to take a look and see what best fits your, your uh, solution. Um, you know, obviously the, uh, it just depends there's a lot of people I can talk to. I and mean, that's the other thing is get on LinkedIn and reach out to some of these people. There's a lot of people talking about their experiences and they'll tell you the good, bads, and uglies, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's the beauty of the environment today is actually you can share, share information that you couldn't share before and learn that, you know, here's a guy on the other side of the country who's going through the exact same scenario you are and you can have a conversation with him and go, wow, okay, that's cool. I didn't know about that. And, you know, it's just this word of mouth thing. That's how, you know, when, you know, I started going to the AGC BIM forum years ago because of that, because it was just, you know, here's this area to sit and talk to people and learn other technologies and how people are doing it. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, you know, the MEP4 show, if you're, a, if you're an MEP contractor, you probably need to be attending that. Even if you're not using some of these tools, just all the contractors will show up. You can learn a lot because there's other things that are talked about besides the, the fabrication tools. There's other things that are discussed there. So, you know, I, I think it's, that's the opportunity you have to look for is uh, get a whole people that have information and, and they're like I said, nowadays everyone's willing to share a lot of videos yeah. out there. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the cool things about the MEP industry that's unique to the MEP industry is that it, it seems like everybody's 
very willing to talk about what is going on, talk about, um, you know, hurdles that they are trying to overcome and ones that they have overcome and they're willing to share that information. That's, that's really cool that you don't get in a lot of industries. Well, it's kind of funny. Whenever you hire a new person, the first thing you do is you try and learn what they had in other companies. That's one thing you look at. And then I used to ask people, they say, well, aren't you worried about the people stealing our software and technology? I said, you know, what? I'll be honest with you. I said, to take our technology we developed and go in, in, input it in someone else's technology, it's probably more hassle than it's worth. Okay. I mean, there's probably little cool tools and tricks you learn. Mm-hmm. But at, at the end of the day, I said, I said, that's not going to bankrupt us. Okay. You know, this isn't, you know, there's nothing here we had that was just really amazing magic. Everyone thinks it is. I said, I said, the more you get around and talk to people, every company's got their own little magic they're doing. And if you talk to them, you learn from it and see if you can, you know, uh, put it into your, integrate it in your solution to improve your process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so all the things you've learned, what's kind of the main advice that you would give to a BIM manager? Learn your people. It's a, it's an HR business. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing when you become a manager, especially BIM managers, you've kind of grown up being the tech guy. And the other problem with being the tech guy is things came pretty easy to you and you learned it. That's kind of why I became, you became that tech guy and you had this thirst and passion for it. Well, you have some people that aren't as fast, don't have the passion. So you have to have the patience. It's, you know, the same thing like in the field while you're forming journeyman apprentices. Okay. You have to teach people and understand that, that not everyone's going to pick up that fast. But I think the biggest eye-opening thing for, for me, especially, and I'm sure most guys see it, is when all of a sudden you're dealing with people and personalities and, you know, when you have to lay someone off, it's a little different. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a life-changing event you're going through and you better make sure why you're laying someone off. But in the same respect, when you keep on people on board, are they the right person? You know, it's, it's, as they've said, you know, is that the right person, the right seat of the bus? Mm-hmm. You need to constantly be looking at your department and identifying your people, your personalities, your strengths, your weaknesses. And um, I mean, it's a big chess game. It really is. Um, I always had my guys keep what we call a totem pole. Who was, the, who was top and who was bottom? Cause I said, you know, this is a, a business where it's not uncommon for us to have a slowdown after lay people off. So you better make sure you know who your strengths and weaknesses are. And we'd sit and talk about, it. you know, if they're weak, why are they weak? And what can we do to improve them and, and kick them up a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I've seen on LinkedIn that you have a, a video series that I believe is called Virtual Manager 101 uh, yeah. to, to pass yeah. some knowledge on to the, the next generation there. Why do you feel it's important to share that knowledge? Well, just kind of what we were just talking about. I mean, I've been doing this long enough and I've sat through, I mean, I've been in, you know, the bin manager seat for quite a few departments. I've run a fab shop. I ran a fab shop for a few years and I've got experience with multiple trades and multiple people, unions and non-unions, you know, all the different things of, you know, just management versus, versus, you know, blue collar, white collar. There's all these little pieces there. And I just thought it'd be kind of good to just add little, pieces. You know, I made a kind of list of kind of lessons learned and try to put it all in bite-sized minute, half, two minute pieces that people could kind of learn from, you know? Um, and I, it, I, I've always, I, like I said, I just been lucky to work with just really top-notch people who are really excellent mentors. And part of the reason I found out later, I was, a, they were good mentors to me is because I, I listened to them. They wanted, mm-hmm. you know, they, they appreciated the fact that I wanted to learn from them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not going to tell anyone how to do their job. You know, everyone's going to make their own piece on how they do their business. But, uh, you know, I'm just trying to share my lessons learned. I've been doing this long enough, doing enough 
I've worked for multiple companies. A lot of people work for one company only and they don't have any perspective. I've worked for, you know, I started out with a small mechanical that was, which I thought was the big deal. And then I went to a large mechanical and learned about hierarchy and people. And, uh, you know, and then I went to another large mechanical. And I, I actually, I made five stops along the way. And so I saw a lot of different perspective people and personalities. And I think that's, that's really the, the key that some people don't see or understand when they get in their little, their little silo of their company and don't realize that there's other perspective out there. Mm-hmm. And every company I came to, I usually try to bring that perspective and then trying to, you know, you, you walk in, you try and warm up to the people there and learn about your people. Um, so I just thought it'd be kind of good to sit down and, and take a little time here and just, like I said, make some bite-sized pieces. I think each one's like 90 seconds to two minutes. I take a topic. I just try and put my, my, my take on it, what my lessons learned are, and hopefully some people are, are get, get some information from it. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I, I th- love the, the knowledge transfer too, because like we said earlier, you know, everybody has this uh, different shade of perspective on whatever topic you're t- looking at. And so I, I think to, to get that, from somebody who's had such a, a great experience in that area. Um, I mean, that's super valuable. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that I, and I think my perspective is a little different because you have to remember, I came from the time where, you know, I was BIM before BIM was BIM. Okay. So there was no BIM. We started, we didn't get 3d backgrounds. We started doing uh, 2d drawings in the mid mid eighties. We switched to 3d in the late eighties because we could do pipe fabrication from it. Um, and then we had a little 3D software we bought to draw architectural walls and stuff when we needed it. But, uh, you know, my, I'm probably a little more conservative than some people just because I've been burnt, and that's how you get learned. You, you, you learn from doing these things, and, and part of my thing is help my people is, is trying to teach them what I've learned. I want to hear what you're at saying. I want, you know, I want the input. I want, I want perspective. You know, as a manager, you have to be looking for perspective. If you're one of these guys that think you're God's gift and you know it all, then you've already failed. You're not going to, you're not going to succeed. You've got this whole, whether you have five guys or 50 guys, you have this whole wealth of information out there. All these people, they're eager to learn and they're little test beds. You got a whole beta department. Why not learn from all your little betas out there? What's working, what's not working. And can, you know, you're continually tweaking it and trying to improve the process. I think it's just a nonstop process. Yeah. That takes some humility though, to be able to kind of check that ego at the door and be like, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I have experts on my team for a reason. Yeah. Well, construction is full of few type eight personalities. <laughs> so uh, yeah. And I, and I, you know, I've been in some heated conversations in my career, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you should be doing what's best for the company, you know? And um, if someone has that singular attitude and they think they're better than the rest of the company, like I said, those are guys, I, I, I used to call them cowboys, you know, and said, you know, you're on the team or you're not on the team. If you're not on the team, I don't care if you're a rock star. I said, you don't fit because if you're gone for a week and we spend a whole week lost in space because we can't figure out how you do your stuff, mm-hmm. you're not a team player. And I, I unfortunately, I had to let go a few guys. I thought were really just top-notch guys, but they just wouldn't come around. They just, mm-hmm. they thought what we were doing was wrong and they didn't want to do it that way. This is how I've always done it. I go, then you should go do it in some other company because obviously it's not going to work here. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP, MEP construction software for Revit. Evolve's MEP software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive, which in turn significantly reduces project risk and cost. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow 
it's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit EvolveMEP.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how did you come up with the idea for ICT Tracker? Well, actually, um, ICT Tracker is kind of a, a combination of a brainchild. Um, uh, my co-founder, Tim Dunk, and I were kind of chatting a couple of years ago, and Tim had recently uh, uh, sold his uh, um, Autodesk uh, uh, company, and uh, he was uh, he was looking for something new, and he had said, you know, Dave, I think AR is the next hot thing. I, he says, you know, and... And I shot back to him. I said, well, I said, here's my problem with ADR. I said, if you want me to just stare at something and think it brings me value, I'm not seeing it. Okay. I said, you know, I said, I want something a little more. Um, <clears throat> and we started talking some more about it. And he said, well, think about it, you know, and I've been trying to, I've actually did this with Navisworks and I've been doing, trying to do it for the last 10 years. I, and I could actually do field installation productivity tracking with Navisworks, but it wasn't user-friendly, you know, the way detailers and engineers drive things by layer, the way fields see it, it's more by, it's more by phasing. So, uh, you know, so for guys to hop in these models, fly around, turn things on and off, identify what this layer is, you know, I, and I think that's where it really kind of, I, it was just failing. I couldn't make it user-friendly enough for the, the guys. So, you know, roll up a couple of years later, Tim and I are talking, we started talking about this. I said, well, what if you could look up and see the element there in the field and then select it and identify its status, mm. you know, and now I can do productivity tracking there based on that. So that's kind of how the whole thing started. We put out what they call an MVP, a minimal viable product. We went through that whole accelerated startup process and uh, learned a lot. Um, and then as we got customers on board, got more customer feedback and, and continually refine the product there. So we originally were hundred percent AR only software and we learned from it. I said, well, sometimes AR doesn't work. It doesn't apply because AR is kind of limiting on your view. So we're the only AR software I know out there that actually lets you do also what we call a free flight or model view. So you can see it in AR or you can flip over instantly and, and free flight the model and go to a spot and select elements and change status. So you can do bulk selection. We also condition the models. We don't bring in a model box stock. Anyone that says they can bring a model in box stock and use it, there's no errors, no issues. I'm going to have to call BS on that one because uh, I've seen enough models for my, my career. Um, there's the human factor. You know, everyone tries their best, but uh, there's certain things. And so we actually have a, a little setup, a routine we use that we condition the models before they use it. So we break it out more by phasing. So the people, when they go to use it, they see only the elements they need to see there and don't have to filter things on and off. We, um, we kind of filter out things that, don't really bring value or um, AR struggles a little bit with, with heavy vector model. We clean up the vector vectors in it. Um, so we do the conditioning on it. So there's those other pieces that we do. Um, it's just a big continual thing. And then the real thing is it's, it's all about the, end, about the data. You know, that's really what you're going. And you know, we all have all spend all this money on BIM and we rarely scratch the eye in BIM. We all like looking at the pretty pictures, but no one's really leveraging the data. Yeah. And so our main thing was making it quick and easy for you to get the data um, and turn it over to reporting. So you can do visual analog reporting. So whether you want to do it in Excel, we can do Power BI, we can bring it back to Navisworks, we can bring it to ERP, we're integrated with Procore right now. So it's really getting that information back because typically a lot of companies don't do information, they don't do productivity tracking because A, it's time consuming. Some guys got to mark it up and then someone has to, they kind of look at it. But if 
if you ever have, you know, we used to have peak project engineers who sit and manually take it all off, put it in a spreadsheet, and then take that data and, and plug it in somewhere so they can kind of see what it is. But that takes a few days to a week. So that data is old. So our main thing is the fact that once you select the elements in the model and you go ahead and, and request a report, you get a report in two minutes. Now you can take that data and we've got it set where you can drop it in a folder and do a, a, a refresh in Power BI. And within five minutes, you can find exactly what's going on in your job. Wow. So on Friday afternoon, you're looking at something. Monday morning, you walk to the meeting and you know exactly what the issues are and say, hey, you guys are connected. We can identify productivity. We can identify, you know, all the, any type of metric. doesn't matter the material or time. So. Uh -huh. That's kind of how it really cultivated. The more we deal with people, the more we deal with customers and they keep challenging us. That's great. You know, and uh, we've, we've, we always had the ability to track hours and we have some customers tracking hours with the software and we're able to take that. We put a, um, we can, we can actually put a crew rate to it. So now all of a sudden you can start getting cost per pound, cost per foot, cost per piece, cost per linear foot, cost per square foot, cost per cubic yard, you know, so if you'd ask any project manager, you know, how long does it take to get this data? It's something they usually don't get in a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. And now they know exactly what's going on versus some guy floating around with a piece of paper or PDF trying to get this data back to you. So yeah. that's really what we've done. Um, it's it, it, The rule was, and from my experience, it had to be simple to use. It had to be easy because I just knew from field guys, they, they don't have time for this crap. They need something that's efficient and simple. Had to be easy to implement. I mean, I've dealt with enough softwares that I bought that, you know, geez, it takes a while. You know, they said they were easy to implement. They're not, you know, and it's just got to be efficient. And that's the three things that have been the mantra of our, our company since we started it. So I, I think we've done a good job doing it and it's just, it continues to improve. We still see more opportunities. And as we get more feedback from customers, we just go, hmm, that's a great idea. I didn't think about that. And like you talk about, that's what we're looking for, perspective. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that's, that's how we got here. That's awesome. I love that flexibility that you guys have when, when you hear something from a customer that you're able to uh, a, be humble enough to hear that perspective and then go, okay, yeah, let's bring that in. That's a, that's a great idea. That's how you improve. It's the only way I, we, you know, we think we know how you want it used, but until they get up the field, usually they go, why doesn't it do that? Or, I never thought about that. That's a pretty interesting thought idea. So the way we're grouping models now is different than when we started and just strategies. It's, it's pretty fascinating what we've learned. And um, we partnered up with uh, um, iConstruct and iConstruct builds a really outstanding tool for uh, cleaning up Navis models and we, for them to really streamline the process. So um, we actually sell iConstruct as part of our package now too, because it's just, it's a great tool. I, I've been using it for years for class detection, but um, it, it had some other tools that I was using at the time, but uh, right now, you know, what would take someone to manually condition a model, you know, this thing does it in a couple minutes now. And that was the other thing people were concerned about. It's like, oh, here's another total station that's going to take my guys all the time to prep these models. No, no, no. We've, we've streamlined that. We understand that burden. We're not putting that extra burden on you. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that that is in the right condition so when the field uses it. And the funny thing is it actually helps QC the models. So we've identified some issues that maybe from detailing that they need to fix and it'll help identify reporting issues. You know, that's a real big thing for them. It's just like going, how can you be reporting on this stuff where I see I got one level of stuff yet it's reporting there on six different levels. So there's yeah. something wrong with some of your element uh, uh, identifications there. Interesting. Well, how do people find out more information on ICT tracker? Uh, well, the best way is obviously we're on uh, um, 
we're on the web there. So www.icttracker.com. And then also you can go on YouTube. We've got a bunch of videos on YouTube. You can sit and watch the process and just see how it works. You know, we've, uh, you know, we've, we're doing the same thing everyone else is just trying to get our name out there and get some recognition. And um, we've got some, you know, good sized clients now and, and a lot of new people coming on board that are, are pushing the software. And, and like I said, they're, they're pushing in directions that we hadn't thought about, which is outstanding. You know, mm-hmm. So that's what we look for is, uh, you know, here's a new ICT tracker customer that's going to allow us to take it to that next level. That's awesome. I, I got one more question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you see as something that kind of excites you about the potential for AR moving forward? I think the thing you're going to see in AR, you know, you see AR is pretty, pretty big when people show models and this and that, but AR is going to stabilize. Um, the issue AR has right now is because of the size of the models. Um, it has a little issues with stability. That's going to improve. And I think you're seeing a lot with model compression. I mean, we're seeing with a bunch of different people we're dealing with model compression. And if that improves, you're going to be able to see bigger models in AR with more information that's more stable that we can actually, you know, I mean, um, <clears throat> the funny thing is, you know, people, well, AR can be, or one of the, one of our, uh, <laughs> Uh, one of the other AR software saying, well, we're plus or minus eighth inch. I said, well, that's amazing. The, the field's not plus or minus eighth inch. So how can it be plus or minus eighth inch, okay? I said, construction would die to be plus or minus a half inch sometimes, okay? So um, that's, I think, kind of one of the fallacies people are going to struggle with AR is the fact that it'll never be this perfect for like the field's not perfect. Mm-hmm. The model's perfect. So, but I, I, I it's like every technology, it, it's, and it's, it's such a hot technology. So many people are looking at it. It's growing in leaps and bounds. You know, we're seeing all these different AR software uh, development companies out there too, which is just going to continue to improve the process. You know, that's all that everyone's looking for is, is continuous improvement. And you're going to have, you already have AR on your iPhone, but you're going to have a higher level of AR on your little phones pretty soon. And, um, you know, just different ways of looking at it. I mean, there's just so many, uh, just basic lifetime things we do in our life every day that AR could simplify and help with. Uh, construction just is one that it's more than a visualization tool. And that's what always drove me crazy. Just to look up and say it's there, that doesn't do anything for me. Okay. And I, I, to me, eventually it's going to be more interactive with how people do their day-to-day jobs and business. You think about service techs that are out there. You already seen some applications where people are out there and they look in their AR and they see the tool or product they're working on, and here's the virtual model, and here's all the information associated with it. That's the kind of stuff that's really, you know, going to take the next step in, in, in construction. That the applications are endless. We got so many smart people out here that keep on challenging it. I think it's just going to continue to grow. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the show and, and giving us your insights and perspective on the industry. Well, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And thank you to those listening. If you are interested in learning any more, you can for sure visit ICT Tracker or you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at ASTI.com for any more information. You can listen anytime to this podcast by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Please spread the word by giving us a five-star review and sharing with your friends and coworkers. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Also, be sure to check out our other applied software podcast, The AEC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is produced by Alyssa Chartier and edited by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.